Hey everyone, you are now tuning into The Rebecca School Listener, a podcast for Rebecca School, which is a therapeutic day school for children ages 3 to 21 with neurodevelopmental delays of relating and communicating, including those on the autism spectrum. My name is Chris Hernandez, media specialist here at The Rebecca School, and I will be your host as we journey into the daily lives of those who work here. Enjoy. On today's episode, we hear from three different service providers on how their teams contribute to the greater picture that is Rebecca School. Hey everyone, so we're back with another podcast episode and I have three really amazing guests with me today. Um, I'm just going to introduce them really quick before, or have them introduce themselves really quick before I get into some questions. So how about we start with Ashley on the left and we'll make our way down the line. So Ashley, whenever you're ready. Sure. Hi, my name is Ashley Lyons and I'm the speech and language therapy supervisor here at Rebecca School. And how long have you been working here for, Ashley? Um, I've been working here for about eight years. Okay, awesome. And Megan? Hi, I'm Megan Collins. I'm the physical therapy supervisor here at Rebecca School. And I started back in 2007. Okay, and finally we have Colleen. Hi, my name is Colleen Gabbard. I am the occupational therapy supervisor here at Rebecca. And I have been here for about seven years. Okay, awesome. So I just wanted to talk really quick about why each of your disciplines are so important and why they play basically an impactful role here at the Rebecca School. So whichever one of you want to start off first, volunteers. I don't mind going first. Okay, so Colleen, you have the mic. So I feel like at Rebecca School, the occupational therapy programs really have a major focus on supporting the child's individual differences and sensory systems. And we have a big focus on sensory integration and helping kids become or be more regulated. Um, And the idea of regulation is the students or the kids being available for attention and engagement and learning. And by supporting their individual differences, whether it's through play in the sensory gym, um, using sensory equipment, or just by using um, their own bodies in sensory motor activities in the classroom, we're really helping them get ready for learning and for relationships with both staff and peers. And I think that all of these things are really important for development in general and academic development and development of peer relationships and development of play and it's something that has always been very important to us in general at Rebecca School and something that our department really tries to focus on. Okay, okay, awesome. I'll go next because this this is Ashley. (laughs) Um, I'll go next because I think that a lot of the work that the OTs do um, in terms of regulation and sensory integration is a really important foundation for language development. Um, And without the OTs and all of their work, you know, they're making our job easier by setting our kids up for success and getting them regulated. 
but you know, speech and language therapy is really important for all of our students. We get asked a lot, when will my child talk? Parents ask us that all the time. And it's because parents and caregivers and people in our students' lives, they want to know about their inner world. They want to know what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and um, it's really important for people to be able to express that. Um, it's important for people to have uh, a sense of agency in the world and be able to share their ideas. And this helps to form relationships and to socialize with others. And having relationships, as we know, is really important. And it impacts quality of life and impacts overall happiness. Awesome. Awesome. And Megan? So something that uh, Colleen and Ashley both touched on was development. And part of what's crucial to our children to is their physical development. You know, how do we interact in the world? Uh, we move through it. We... What do children do most? They play, and what we need them to do is become the owners of their own bodies so that they can successfully play and interact with the world. Um, you know, whether that's helping them walk, run, or jump, whether that's teaching them how to catch and throw a ball, um, whether that's being able to just go into the community and be able to take in all the sights and sounds that through the work that the OTs do, and just being able to keep their body upright and be able to turn their head without their whole body moving. Um, so that they can check for cars crossing the street. You know, uh, play is such a universal language. You don't necessarily need anything to do it except being present and being there with your body. And so uh, what we try to do is help uh, the children, whether it's um, through building up their muscle strength or helping improve their balance and coordination um, or their, um, yeah, or their balance and coordination so that they can they can interact in the world and feel successful as a, as a human and as a, as a child. And I think something that both you and Ashley said is this sense of like agency and ownership of their own body that it's not just about like getting kids moving or getting kids regulating or getting kids to talk, but also giving them this opportunity to be, to have their own voice, however it may be, however they may communicate, to understand how their body works and what supports they need so that they could say to a teacher or to a friend or to somebody outside of the walls of Rebecca School, like, I need this in order to do what you're asking me to do or I need this in order to be successful here. And it's, I think that's something that we work really well interdisciplinary in supporting in our, our kids here at Rebecca School. Awesome, guys. So my next question, and probably the most important question on my list, mm -hmm. is about DIR floor time. So we are a DIR floor time school, so I want to ask how each of your disciplines really incorporates DIR floor time into what you do every day. I, you know, I think following a child's lead is the primary piece. Uh, that's where we all start when it comes to the floor, to comes to floor time. You know, we want to, we don't want to come in with our own agenda and our own checklist of things that we're going to accomplish in a session. We show up ready to be with the kid and do what they want to do. Join them in what makes them feel joy and then get the relationship going from there. Um, you know, and whether that's following their lead and, and 
in a place that they that they feel safe and secure and want to play in or whether that's following their lead when it comes to an activity um, but just showing them that they are equal equal in this relationship that we're partners in this um, and I think that's where we'd start you know and then once we start to play you know we can throw the choices in we can bring the silliness mm -hmm. you know it's constantly trying to capture that gleam in the eye and and hold on to it mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's important we we almost constantly have to be observing the kids and looking at what they're doing and trying to understand even if they can't verbally tell us what their bodies are communicating to us and then by observing them and watching them and watching how the kids interact with each other with the staff with the environment it gives us an idea of what their individual differences are and how we could better support them what they might be seeking or avoiding and how we could help them get the just right amount of that sensory input or movement um, and then through our relationship and through our understanding of their developmental level help follow their lead by understanding what's motivating to them and what's meaningful to them and incorporating that into our I, I think it goes across the board, OT mm -hmm. sessions, PT sessions, mm -hmm. speech sessions. And I think also recognizing that that changes day to day mm -hmm. and also throughout a session. So, you know, I know especially in terms of communication, one day a student might be really talkative and or wanting to share a lot of ideas and that could be dependent on a lot of different things that could be dependent on how they're feeling or how motivated they are by what's going on, how much sleep they got. And then another day they might be more quiet and need a little bit more support. So just understanding that they're that we're recognizing where they are in any given moment and then just trying to move them up the ladder. And that it, that's not unique to just students or children with special needs. I think part of the thing that I've gotten out of DIR is the ability to reflect and know that we're not always operating at 100% and we're not always the most chatty or we might be quiet more times and to just have that empathy and that understanding and just showing up and ready to work with whoever shows up in front of you and not holding them to any other version of themselves than the one that's right in front of you right then and there. Ooh, beautiful. Yeah. I, I feel like that from. is such a good point too because sometimes a really important piece of like the DIR work doesn't happen immediately face to face with the kids but it happens behind closed doors when you're reflecting and talking with your colleagues and watching video and thinking about ways that you could continue to challenge the kids or if you're challenging them too much. I just want to note to our listeners that everyone was so nervous going into this podcast, and it's like I'm not even here, and you, you three are just having a conversation we're like, naturally we're like with each other. At capacity four right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was a, I wasn't even at capacity one when I walked in. I was very under stress. You've moved my up the development like, ladder, back. All, all of all of us, me included, were and freaking out before are this. Witnesses. <laughs> I'm still it a little hot. But <laughs> my hands are so <laughs> So moving on, um, I really wanted you guys to talk about what interdisciplinary groups look like. So this, this is another like open question. Um, how do you guys collaborate with each other? I feel like there are so many yeah. answers to this question. There are so many. Well, and I, yeah, I mean, that's it. I, the groups can look a thousand different ways. I mm -hmm. think the only thing that limits us is our own creativity and, the, and mm -hmm. or like 
yeah, the people yeah. who are in the group's creativity. Um, and I think we, across the school, we, just like we respect our students' freedom mm -hmm. and promote their creativity, mm -hmm. we want staff to be mm -hmm. really creative and promote their individual individuality. 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 There we go. Yes. Um, and if they have an idea or they have a passion, bringing that to their students yeah. mm -hmm. and finding ways to bring that to the classroom, the curriculums, and across disciplines. And I feel like over the years, like in the time that I've been at Rebecca School, the like at the most basic level and sometimes the most appropriate level, the uh, interdisciplinary group might look like a yoga movement story or an obstacle course group or a cooking group and has developed like even more into we have an OTPT speech breathing group yeah. right now mm -hmm. focusing mm -hmm. on the different aspects and the importance of breathing and how that impacts each of the disciplines and how that impacts the student. We have poetry groups happening led by um, a former TA of Rebecca School and lover of poetry and academics and supported by OTs and speech therapists and we have a construction group right um, co-led with a teacher and OTs will come in sometimes yeah um, what else do we have we've got some like exercise groups with the, yeah. some of the older kids and that's yeah speech OT PT a lot of the classroom staff and I think that that's the thing we all show up I don't think we're any of us are doing anything different from the other I kind of think it's just the lens that we look at what's going on with. That's I think that's where the our disciplines do come in because I don't think we're acting like a speech therapist or acting like an OT or acting like a PT when we are in those groups. I think we're we're all equal players, and um, I think what, what what our discipline does is is when we do reflect, when we are watching like we watch back video then we're seeing it through the lens mm -hmm. of our discipline. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think we show up in any different way. That's really great, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my next set of questions are really individual questions um, past that. But feel free. Well, I mean, you can, you can jump in on each other's questions, but we're a little short for time, so I want to sure. kind of like mm -hmm. press on. Um, so, Colleen, we're starting with you for, first. Okay. Um, I want to ask... How do you help parents carry over sensory play and activities from school to home and what that looks like? And it's not just you. I know your team does this as yeah, well, yeah, but yeah. I want you to talk about sure. that a little bit. Sure. Um, I feel like we do this in a couple of different ways. We, well, we communicate with parents via email or phone call or in-person meetings. However, parents prefer their communication to happen. We're very flexible in that way. We send out... Um, monthly newsletters with different sensory activities that can be graded and individualized for their for their student for their child and then to take it a step further we we encourage parents to complete the parent training here at Rebecca school that happens with our full-time team and our clinical director um, because I think understanding that background of floor time and kind of the basics of floor time and what we're doing at at the Rebecca School helps them understand the individual difference piece and the sensory motor piece a little more and then at that point or 
with or without the parent training. We invite parents in to observe sessions or participate in sessions. And we're also always open and willing and excited to do home visits and take a look at, you know, the students' home space and environment and brainstorm with the parent and, if possible, with the student um, about different ways to incorporate sensory activities or regulating activities at home, not necessarily just sensory in the sense of like touching or moving, but whatever might be regulating for that child. And if any lis- anyone listening to this episode wants to know more about some of the sensory activities uh, that the OT department sends home, we actually do have a blog on Medium. It's medium.com backslash at Rebecca School New York. Uh, and we post once a month on there about sensory play. And we also do that for... Our next two questions, which would be for Megan and Ashley, which are community foods and movement of the month. We also post on our blog about that, but they're going to talk about that more. So, Megan? So, a few years ago, um, I was sitting in a meeting and was thinking about, you know, we have so much information. All of us sitting in this, in this, in this room right now, at this podcast, in this building, we have so many tools and there's so much information. And sometimes it can be, I would, I would assume, I would, I would guess that sometimes it can be overwhelming to receive all that, to be constantly like flooded with all of this stuff. And so we kind of wanted to think about how we can get the most bang for our buck um, in efficiently carrying over stuff from school to home. Um, so we decided that um, we would focus on one movement per month. Um, as to not get too saturated with all of the things, um, to make it easier for our staff to follow through it, to make it easier for our people at home to to follow through. Um, so that was the idea, just kind of making it more 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 easy to incorporate into your everyday life. Um, and we tried to think about the first year of life and what those gross motor milestones are. So whether that be rolling or sitting and crawling um, to walking, we kind of broke down the first year of life and gave a movement per month. So um, in October, because nobody has their, nobody's ready to fly in September. So we started in <laughs> October, because <laughs> you know. Um, and so October is supine flexion, which is just like a, like a crunch, like an abdominal crunch. You're lying on your back, you bring your knees to your chest, and you bring um, your head up towards your knees. And it's just being able to hold that uh, core contraction, and um, that's where we start. And then we have some log rolling. Uh, we go over into like the yoga pose cobra, which is just um, you're on your belly with, ex- with arms extended. Um, moving into army crawling, into crawling. Um, what we've noticed is that some of our kids through just through conversations with parents over the last 11 years a lot of our kids miss some kind of gross motor motor milestone and there's a reason for every milestone to be hit there's some kind of academic correlation to these milestones and whether that's your eyes being able to cross midline so that you can become a reader at some point or 
you know, being able to bear weight on your arms so that your arches form in your hand, um, being able to, you know, um, when you're crawling, being able to move one limb independently of the other, all of these things have Im impacts and implications to academic performance later in life. If you can't do some of the, these things, there's no shot that you're going to be able to sit in a chair and be able to like look up at the board, take all that information in, then look back down at your paper, being able to do all of those fine movements, being able to raise your hand and not have a primitive reflex kick in. Um, and so that's kind of where the movement of the month started. And we found, we, so we email parents, and it's not just parents of the kids who get physical therapy, but the parents of the whole school um, to make it as inclusive as possible. Um, we email them at the beginning of every month. We tell them what the movement of the month is. At the end of the month, follow up, um, encouraging them to send pictures. It doesn't have to be of the, of the student that goes here, but to try to recruit um, some family. We've had some parents jump in the pictures. We've had all the siblings in the family doing the movement of the month together. We, had, we just had um, one of our latest winners um, bring in their neighbor to help to do the movement of the month with them. No know, way. I didn't have parental permission, so I wasn't allowed to post that picture because um, I don't know his neighbor. But um, so that's where it came from, and it just um, and and more recently, we've been giving certificates to send home with the kids who win because how often? Like, I don't know when I when I was going to school, there we had like student of the month and. You know, somebody would come home with a certificate, and I just think about how often that might not be happening for the parents of our kids that go here. And just because it's not happening in the traditional academic sense doesn't mean growth and progress and achievement isn't happening in a different way. So we just want to acknowledge that, um, empower the families, because you know these kids the best, um, and movement doesn't have to be that hard. Thanks, Megan. So, Ashley, yeah. community food group, but I have to mm -hmm. say something first. My first experience with community food group mm -hmm. was actually with Colleen. Interesting. Tell me more. So, when I first started in this position, I was filming a group oh, called yeah. The Cool Chefs, or like that I called The Cool Chefs. Okay. And so, it was Colleen and Courtney, mm -hmm. and we'd sit there and we'd basically bake cookies or like try and build sometimes up to baking something. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> sometimes healthy stuff as well. Uh -huh. um, but I want you to tell our listeners about Community Food Group, sure. how it started, and how it's possible that all of your speech therapists have different recipes every single week. They're pretty amazing and creative. <laughs> um, Okay, so Community Food Group really stemmed from our community mealtime program. Um, if I'm going to go back a little bit. So um, the speech and language department here, we recognized that mealtime was a little bit, could be a little bit hectic in classrooms. Um, and that we had a lot of, we have a lot of students who are picky eaters and they didn't necessarily want to be in the classroom at mealtime. They wanted to eat on their own. Um, whether it be in the hallway or in an office or in the student lounge, it just, it wasn't a time of day that was being utilized in the best way possible. Um, so we found a way to kind of bring everybody together uh, for a meal. 
And we felt that this was really important because mealtime could be, is a time for learning. It's a time for sensory exploration. It's a time um, for language development and socialization. So bringing everyone together was really important. And we did this by kind of just creating a really meaningful experience with plates and tablecloths and snacks and um, staff coming to the table and sharing their lunch and just making it a really enjoy using the relationship to really bring everybody to the table whether you were eating some elaborate salad or or a piece of toast and french fries everybody was coming together and talking about their food talking about their meal um, and from there we decided to add a community food to mealtime and the community food was is a food that we choose monthly um, as a department we make a list in the beginning of the school year and we choose a different food for every month we try to make it a whole food so like a fruit or a vegetable um, an herb sometimes and it's we try and make it seasonal um, so for example September is apples October is pumpkins November is usually some sort of squash um, and once a week we have a group with the students in the class, whether they're picky eaters or not picky eaters, it's just a very inclusive process. Um, and we kind of just meet them, meet all the kids where they are. And similar to language development, feeding development is, develop, is um, there's a certain set of milestones that are expected as well. Um, so before a child will eat a food, they usually have some sort of sensory experience with it. So they'll look at it, smell it, touch it, mash it, maybe bring it to their lips and then put it down. Maybe put it on their tongue and then put it down. And this could go on for a really long time until they feel comfortable with the food. Um, so we, because we have a food for an entire month, this gives the kids repeated exposure to the food in a variety of ways. There's never any pressure to eat the food. Um, and it's really just about having a shared experience around it. Um, so week one of, of a food, you might just, like this month we're doing clementines. So everyone might roll a clementine across the table or just smell the clementine or start to peel the clementine. Talk about the way the juices feel, the texture of it. Um, next week, maybe we'll peel the clementines apart and smash it with our hands. Um, maybe do an art project with clementines. The following week, maybe the speech therapist will introduce a recipe and um, we're mixing clementines with different ingredients. And then the following week, hopefully everyone's feeling more comfortable and wants to taste it. Um, so it's kind of an ideal progression with the foods. And um, we've found a, a lot of success with this. Um, kids feeling really comfortable around foods taking this home to uh, their families and because the foods are whole foods and they're just common foods that you'll see every day they're a lot of times they're found in the home and then kids will just initiate on their own wanting to eat these foods and explore these foods or if you go to the grocery store a lot of the students will ask their parents to buy them um, so it's been really successful and everyone's super creative with their recipes again there's no cookie cutter way that the everyone's exposed to the food it's up to the discretion of the therapist and what the natural interests of the students are
You know what's really great and what I really appreciate? That it just sounds to me, and I hope that anyone listening has picked up on it, that you guys have really, like, refined and, like, streamlined a lot of things from when you first started till now. Um, and it's just really amazing to hear all three of you talk about it. So I want to start, like, a tradition on the show and keep this going throughout all the episodes. Okay. So the endings, basically, I'm giving you floor time to talk about floor time. So here's your floor time. You can give us a bit of knowledge. It could be one word. It can be a sentence, any statement. Just drop some knowledge. Yep, just like that. Drop some knowledge. Let everyone know. Something that I think about when I think about floor time and if I have to give like a kind of take home piece is go be with a child, relate to them. And if your goal is to, to smile and have the child smile with you and be related and connected to each other, that's a really good goal to have. Um, I'd say let go. Like, <clears throat> don't take yourself too seriously. When you're doing floor time, especially at the, uh, um, the first uh, foundational de developmental capacities, it doesn't have to make sense. Don't be logical. Stop being the adult. Just be there. Follow their lead and be silly. The sillier, the better. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was, I was going to say along those lines. When you're doing floor time, yeah, we want the, our, the kid or our child to have, be having fun, but it's also important that we're having fun and when we're feeling joy and we're laughing, then we know we're doing good work. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Everyone. Thank you. Thank you. See, it wasn't that Thank bad. You. No, it was alright. Uh, if anyone listening really wants to know about Community Food Group, uh, Movement of the Month, and sensory activities, again, you can go to our Medium blog, which is medium.com backslash Rebecca School New York. We post every month all of the new things. Um, make sure to give us some feedback. Hit that subscribe button. And we'll see you guys next time. 